All right, welcome back to the podcast. And this is episode 75, my friends. Uh, I told you, not that far away. And episode 100 will be here before you know it. So a couple things I want to talk about before we talk about this episode. I started a 90-day leadership challenge for women of faith on the 1st of June. And so I just want to give a shout out to Dawn, Glenda, Danica, Faith, Angela, Uh, Some of you have already started showing up in the private Facebook group and you've been on the Zoom call. I know there's some of you who are still planning on jumping in. I hope you're uh, reading the daily devotional and doing some of the exercises, checking in with with our Facebook group to see what's going on. And then a couple of episodes ago, I asked... um, for you to give me a shout out if you were a new listener. And I haven't heard from many of you, but I did want to give a shout out for my top listeners. So shout out to Fred and Linda H. I might have to recruit you to be like my marketing gurus or something. And then Dawn, Angela, Pete, Dwayne, Carmen, Jeff, Aaron, Jeanette, and Doreen. I didn't know I had so many men listening. So shout out to all of you. Thanks for sharing the podcast. And I've been listening to some new podcasts. Some of the ones that I normally listen to, like they just haven't been recording or putting publishing many episodes recently. So I've been looking for some new ones and I started listening to The Lazy Genius. I don't know if you listened to this one. I listened to her sister, Emily P. Freeman in The Next Right Thing. And so I thought I'd give this one a shout out. I'm not really a a DIY kind of a... Like, I don't normally follow those kind of podcasts, but she was talking about the morning routine, and this is probably the best episode I have ever heard anyone uh, do on the morning routine. So I'm going to put that in the show notes so that you can take a listen to it. It's short. It's like a 15-minute episode. The basic, the basis of it, I'll, I'll give you a mini spoiler, but her basic premise is the idea of the morning routine is that you're supposed to do what helps you to to gradually show up for the day. So rather than having like this shock to your system that you gradually move into the day, kind of like the sun rises gradually, same thing with us. And that'll be different for everyone. Some of us, like we're morning people, so it doesn't take long before we're ready to, to get going for the day. Some of us are not morning people like yours truly, and it takes us a little bit longer. So Anyway, she has some really great ideas, She and she talks about some of the things that she does and why she does them, which I think will help. If, if you're kind of stuck like with your morning routine, I think it will help spark some ideas and creativity for yourself. So check that episode out. And then today's episode, I interview Reverend Dan Bohai. So I right at the beginning of the episode, I tell how I met him and why I invited him on the podcast. One of the things he tells is his near-death experience, which I think is fascinating. Um, I I mean, I'm always intrigued by near-death experiences. That's kind of one of my, I don't know, is that a guilty pleasure? I don't know. I just think that they're fascinating, and I like to hear people, um, not just the experience itself, but how it changed their life. And so he shares that. And then he talks about becoming love and in particular, 
reading through 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which I'm sure if you're listening to this podcast, you're familiar with 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter, and what the Lord was trying to show him in it, and then how God used that to kind of really change and shift the dynamic of his ministry. This is a really cut and dry episode. Like, there's not a whole lot of editing in this. We just have this great episode. If you want to see the video, I already posted that on my YouTube channel, so you can watch it there. Uh, I know some of you are kind of like, I don't have time to sit down and watch an hour-long YouTube video, but you'll listen to the audio. So here's the audio for you. And I have a couple more episodes on the books to record. I got one I still have to edit. I'm just you know, living my life here. I do have a couple of other jobs, so I've been really slow to get some of these episodes edited and get them posted to you. But I have a goal to get caught up before I start recording some more. Anyway, here is episode 75. Enjoy the episode. We've been trying to tell better stories about women and clergy and the church because we really need to tell better stories. Instead of just complaining about it, what if we flood the airwaves with something different? How are you? I am doing well. How are you? You look well. I feel so blessed. Yeah? I've been... I just feel so blessed. I'm encouraged. I've got um, like lots of opportunities to minister around Kansas City. Yeah. I met these people that have 350 churches that are just hungry for revival, hungry for the spirit, hungry for the glory. And they want to see the presence of God come. And I just feel like I may I don't know. I may see a revival come to a city, like a metropolitan area. So I'm excited. I got all of IHOP praying for me. <laughs> I got millions of people. Um, I met Mike about a year and nine months ago, and he's actually had me preach 20 times in a year and nine months. It's never happened in the history of IHOP because they love my preaching. They love what I do. And so I'm just thrilled. I got one and a half classes left for my ordination. Um, I'm sitting here looking at the books that I have to read. Nightmare. But I got one and a half classes left. So in August, I'll have all my classes done. So I'm, I'm excited. That is exciting. COVID slowed me down to where I was going, you know, 300 days a year on the road for over 11 years. Mm-hmm. And when the COVID hit, <clears throat> I had to stay home. Well, we remodeled this little room into my prayer room. And I actually sat in this room for about seven months last year. I found out how much Jesus loves me. I've never gotten over it. I just know he's crazy about me. So it changed me. I'm just, I'm just, I kind of a lot of Thanksgiving in my heart. I can't yeah. control anything anyway, but Jesus is good. You know, yeah. I'm excited. Yeah. So what are we gonna do on this podcast? Well, I I have I, I have very I have different listeners, I think, than you than you have. So 
I, I just think that it would be great if they heard your story and that God, okay. still, God still does some pretty amazing things. Um, we, you know, we, we think it's all, it only happens over there in Africa or India or China or whatever. Um, but God still will go to the ends of the earth to get our attention. And then, and I've heard you preach this before, but then I'm reading something right now that kind of brought it up again. And this idea of living unoffendable. Yeah, becoming love, because love is yeah. not offensive. Right. That God caught my heart on that. That's why we changed the name of the ministry. Yeah. Because we we want to become love because God's love. And yeah. it's not offendable. Right. And so if we're offended, we're not becoming love in that area, I guess. Because love's not offendable. Right. So that'll stress people on it. That stresses that's, people out, yeah. That's good. It, that's it will good. it'll stretch their their heart and their mind, won't it? Love is provocative. Love provokes. It's painful because you got to love people that are hard to love. Mm. It's love, you know? Yeah, so I'll just follow your lead. Well, And I'll just do what you ask your questions. I'll respond to your questions. And we'll just flow. How's that? Okay, that sounds good. We'll flow. I'm all about flow. We'll see what the Spirit wants to do. As soon now, as I leave it. As soon as I leave this Zoom call, I have to go to the prayer room, and there's a guy named Jason Hubbard who runs this international prayer strategy ministry that they have several million people involved, and they're praying for a hundred million intercessors for revival. Mm. And his wife, I met him yesterday, his wife has had a tumor for 22 years, but it's not cancerous in her brain. She's had a constant headache for 22 years. Mm. And he wants me to come up there and pray for his wife today. So as soon as I leave here on the Zoom, yeah, I got to pray for his wife. I'm going to believe that God will touch her. Mm. Anyway, it's interesting. So, Well, I'm, I met you spring of 2010 because you were preaching. Uh, in, was Saginaw or last Lansing? Which one was it? At the Michigan Holiness Summit. Michigan Holiness Summit, yeah. Was that Saginaw? Saginaw. Yeah. Yeah, up there in Saginaw. And I was ready to walk away from the ministry that day. And I, when you, well, you got up to preach and told your story. And I, and I, I think I've probably told you this before, but, um, you know, they, they, they read like all your, all these great things about you before you got up to preach. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't know anything about you. But I was really cynical right now at that time with the church because I just felt like, well, I had said this to God. I had said, you know, Jer where Jeremiah says, you deceived me, you deceived mm -hmm. me, you know, that God had called me, that there was a place, that there was, there was something I was supposed to do in, in, for the kingdom. Um, and then I, but all of these doors just kept being slammed. I felt like being slammed in my face. I'm like, um, and so I remember just sitting there and, uh, being really cynical when they were reading everything about, you know, who you were and all of this. And, but when you got up to preach, you all, you had, you didn't have anything, but I think you had a towel. That was it. But you didn't have notes or your Bible or anything like that. But I think within the first 10 minutes, you quoted like 
four, five, six different verses from memory. And it got it, that got my attention because I thought, all right, he has the word committed to his heart. Um, and so then, and then you started to tell your story and it was in the midst of you telling your story that it, it wasn't something you said as much. It was that the spirit said to me, um, I called you to preach the gospel. Now preach the gospel. Wow. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. You know, from that one meeting, I've heard what you're saying about a dozen times from people since then that they were ready to quit. They were tired. They'd been told this is how you grow this. This is how you do this. And they were sick of strategies. They wanted a presence. They wanted a person that would come alongside them. And they got hope during that meeting. So yeah. get, that encouraged Joanne. That's yeah. good. Well, we just crossed over from that meeting. I left and well, then I went to assembly and Dr. Porter was preaching and he was preaching his go plant churches message. And so God called me a plant. So we just crossed over the 10 year mark. Mm. So out of that, out of that, um, we planted here in Devonair and we're changing our community with the love of Christ. Cause that's really the only thing that works. Right. I saw on Facebook, you guys had some kind of a picnic or something recently. We decided we've launched three dinner churches in addition to ours. So last year during COVID, we planted three more churches. Um, and so one of them is a dinner church that just meets on our front lawn during because of COVID. Um, people who they're not going to come on a Sunday, but they, 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 they have spiritual questions. And so we're just, we eat and then we tell the story of Jesus. Not real complicated. <laughs> that almost sounds biblical. It does, doesn't uh, it? <laughs> Yeah. so would you like me to share a brief testimony of how god transformed me joanne would that be appropriate yeah i would love it if you would share that okay so i'll try to take this two-hour story and make it 20 minutes i don't know but i'll try and um so i was raised with really good christian parents my daddy was an evangelist and my mom, they're 89 right now. And they came to one of my revival meetings last week and for four hours and they loved it. And they're almost 90. My mom's like Jesus. She's just, she's amazing. So I had the best parents, but I wasn't saved until I was 14. I just kind of went along and had a big youth group. I, I was growing up in a big Nazarene church and, and uh, I was kind of wild. I had ADHD. They didn't diagnose me, but I had it. I couldn't focus. You know, I was always scatterbrained. So I was on a mission trip and we were in the, on an Indian reservation and my youth pastors were going to send me home early because I was causing a lot of problems. I actually had pornography. I had alcohol. I had buddies. We were just disrupting the whole mission trip. We were just bad. I was lost. And so they were taking me to the bus station because I was the ringleader. I was the one kind of organizing the, the sinfulness. And on the way to the bus station, I asked my youth pastors, do you guys care if I guess I want to get saved? I'm ready to give my life up to Jesus. And I know I was doing it because I was afraid, you know, because I'm going home, I'm going to be in real bad trouble. And I prayed with my youth pastors 
and I got born again. My life changed. It was real. I know it was because of fear, but when I asked Jesus to come in, I got an appetite for the things of God. Nobody had to tell me. I, re I really did want to know him. I wanted to learn how to talk to him. I still don't know how to talk to him real good, but I try all the time. I wanted to know his word. And so I just started like, I started pursuing God. And I was 14 and they didn't send me home. So I got to come back, finish the trip out. And that was the same summer that I met my future wife. So that was an interesting summer. Uh, about two weeks before ninth grade, I fell in love with her. It's crazy. You know, I'm almost, well, I'm young. I'm 14, 14 and a half. But I just know that's the one I want to marry someday. How do you know that? I don't know, but I did. And so started dating Debbie. And I love Jesus. And that was back when I was really, I was a real good basketball player. Um, Man, I was good. Anyway, I'll just tell you, I was an All-American basketball player. And I had 100-plus full-ride scholarships to play basketball anywhere in the world, in, in the country, you know. But there was something missing in my heart. Even though I had given my heart to Jesus and he saved me from my sins, but there was something missing. And I, I felt like an internal, like in my heart, there was a, there was a struggle um, over what God likes and wants and what I like and want. There was like this internal battle in my heart. And my pastors, when I was growing up, you'll find this interesting, were Dr. Paul Cunningham and then Dr. J.K. Warwick and then David Graves. Now, not though Those weren't when I was growing up. Dr. J.K. and David were when I was an adult. But, so my three pastors that I remember at my church that I grew up in all became general superintendents. It's crazy. But they were all like, they would preach messages on how to let God come deeper into you once you're a Christian and cleanse and purify your heart so you don't have that internal struggle over who's Lord. So every time I would hear a message like that preached, I would want to go to the altar because I, I was not happy. I had things in me that I was discouraged about. I would get mad easy. I had, I had lust problems. I had pride issues. I had lots of fear. I'm gonna tell you, I had lots of fear. And so I would go to the altar to pray that God would make my heart pure, not just forgiven, but just pure and holy and clean. And, but I wanted to feel something, Joanne, you know? I wanted to feel something. I would read some testimonies of people that said that it was like all of heaven flooded their soul. Or I'd read testimonies like Charles Finney or D.L. Moody or these different people. And they had these unbelievable encounters. And I never had that. I just didn't, nothing ever felt different. And so I never did receive the sanctifying work that I was seeking in my heart. And so I pursued it, I pursued it, I pursued it. And then uh, after about three and a half years of really seriously pursuing, I got discouraged like nothing was ever going to change. And so I stopped pursuing and just settled for whatever. I call it churchianity. 
I don't think Jesus died so we would be good churchians. I think he died so we could actually become Christians where he could actually live his life in us, you know. And so I uh, went to college and got married at 19. We had our four kids by the time we were 24. Now we have 15 grandkids. It's amazing. I mean, it's crazy. But um, now my wife and I are 60. And there's a chance we could have 45 great grandkids if all my grandkids have three apiece. Anyway, I'm excited about that. But um, so I'm 24. I have four kids. I'm married. I'm going to church. But there's no real passion for Jesus. There's no real passion for the lost. There's no real hunger for more. I'm just like in this rut of churchianity. And I, I'm singing in the choir for a, little, for a little season. I got on the board of my church. I was on the church board. I helped organize new Sunday school classes but I never led one person to the Lord. I never saw a miracle. I never, I just was like, I just was, I guess, religious. And so time's going on. My kids are growing up. I'm in business for myself. But um, when I was 34, I am, um, so from age 17 to age 34, from 14 to 17, when I first got born again, those first three years were fiery. I was just pursuing God, pursuing God, pursuing God, wanting to have more, wanting to be filled with the spirit, wanting the power of God, wanting to be pure and holy. But from 17 to 34, I just settled for, well, we just go to church and we just do what you do. But I was never satisfied. I never experienced the peace of God. I had peace with God because I always ask him for forgiveness. And once he forgives you, you get peace with him because he takes your sins away. But I never experienced the peace of God. I never experienced like I was one with Jesus. And that's his goal. He wants me to be one with him, just like him and the father are one. He prays that, John 17. And so um, when I was 34, I got so desperate for something to change. I was so insecure. I was, I had so much fear. I had like a lot of suicidal thoughts because I thought, am I ever going to get victory? Like, um, when's it ever going to change? You know? So when I was 34 years old in 1995, I just remember I started praying this prayer. Lord, if you can't change me and take out this fear, and this depression, and this anxiety, this lust, this pride, this arrogance, this, this unsettled, unsatisfaction kind of life. If you can't take that out of me and change me, I would rather die. I started praying that prayer. like, And it wasn't morbid because I don't like, I'm not excited about dying. But it really was my heart. I didn't want to live anymore the way I was. I was tired of it. I had tried to do everything I can do with my own strength and abilities, but none of it brought satisfaction. So, 95's going through the year. 
And I remember on June 14th, I came home from work. I was a construction guy. And I remember my wife reading some kind of discouraging news about what was going on in our lives at the time. And I threw down the phone in the kitchen and just collapsed at the kitchen table. And my boy, Chad, was staring at me. And I just started crying. Like I said, I can't go on. I can't do this anymore. I can't live. I can't do it anymore, honey. And my wife looks at me and says, why don't you just give up and trust God? So that was her advice. It was good advice. Then I went to bed. I had a dream. And that night in my dream, I was hanging on a cliff. And I was going to die. I couldn't hold on. I was slipping. It's like my fingernails were peeling back. And I was going to die. And I looked below me, and it was Jesus. And he said, why don't you just let go so I can catch you? And I woke up. And I knew I couldn't. Because in my dream, I was afraid that if he knew all the ugly stuff inside of me, he wouldn't want me. So I thought I had to fix myself first, which is another lie, right? And so I go to work that day on June 15th, 1995. And on the way to work, um, I got hit by a 60,000-pound truck. Um, I turned left, and this truck hit the passenger side of my truck. And it, it hit me. It, it actually punctured through the side of the truck and it pushed me out of the driver's side. So this big giant semi type heavy truck crushes me. It breaks my back, breaks and shatters my pelvis. It lacerates and tears my liver and it tears my urethra out of my bladder and it bruises my whole body. I have glass and my whole body's black and blue. And so I've been praying the whole year, Lord, if you can't change me, I'd rather die. And then I get hit by this truck. And so they take me to the IC, or not the IC, they take me to the hospital. I don't remember this, but I remember what happened at the hospital. I would ask for something to help me with the pain because I was dying. I mean, I was in pain. And the nurses would say, Mr. Bohai, we can't give you anything until we find out all that's wrong with you. And so I would just be in pain. But then all of a sudden, something supernatural happened. And I still don't understand how God did it, but I would leave my body, Joanne, and I could look down. And I'm seeing myself laying there on that little gurney, whether I can see people working on me, but I'm looking at myself. And every time that would happen, I didn't go to heaven. I didn't see a bright light. It's like I was just right above myself. And somebody grabbed my shirt every time and said, you can't leave. We're not done with you yet. And I know it was an angel. I never met the guy, so I know it was an angel because I'm very, very persistent and I wanted to know who this guy was. It wasn't a doctor or a nurse or an EMT. It wasn't a witness to the accident. It wasn't the driver who hit me. It wasn't the police. It wasn't, it was an interesting deal. And it happened all day long. I would leave my body. Don't leave, we're not done with you. I'd come back in my body. Well, they did tests all day. The accident happened before seven in the morning. I didn't get in the ICU room till like five o'clock at night. So they're doing CAT scans, MRIs, doing all this stuff to me. So finally they get me in the ICU and they start the morphine on me now because they found out all the stuff that's wrong. So I'm laying there in the ICU and my wife's talking to me and she said, honey, there's a lot of visitors that want to see you. And I told her, I can't see anybody. I'm too afraid. And that's when I think, I, I think I got to the lowest of my life because I've always been able to put on this mask and act like I got it all together. Like if 
you ask me how my whole life, how you doing? I'm busy. I got this, this, this. And I just, I didn't want, I didn't want you to know my insecurity. So I put on my little, I got it going on mask. Okay. And that's how I lived. Well, that night I didn't have any energy. I couldn't do the mask. And so I was afraid to see anybody because I can't walk. I'm laying there. I'm afraid fears off the charts. My goodness was fear off the charts. I didn't know how I was going to provide for my wife. How am I going to live? And my wife leaves to go tell everybody, you know, that I can't see anybody. And I'm alone in my room. And I look over at my heart monitor and my blood pressure and the heartbeats and all that oxygen level. I can see it on that little screen. I still see it. And I just said, Jesus, am I going to die? Is this the end of my life? I just remember like he was, I could, I was just talking to him. I thought, is this how you die? Am I dying? And I looked over at my little thing, my little box. I had all my vitals and it was 5.37 PM. And I saw my heart rate go flat and I didn't leave my body and I wasn't looking down. I couldn't, it wasn't like it was in the room. It was different. I didn't leave my body. I just saw my heart rate go flat. And then I felt this presence come up next to my bed and he started talking to me. And I know now it was Jesus. It was actually Jesus. He appeared to me. He said, the first thing he said to me was son, I have forgiven your sins. Whoa, man. I was so happy. I try to explain this because it was happening so fast, but what I felt like was for the first time in my life, I don't have to earn it. I don't have to do one thing to earn his grace. I don't have to earn forgiveness. He loves me. He's my dad. He's my big brother. He's my savior. He's my bridegroom. He's everything. I never knew that. I was, I need to do more. I need to work harder. I need to do this. I need, I don't need, I just need to accept it. And he calls me his son. I have forgiven your sins. You know, Matthew, you know, he, Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the words of Christ. Well, he spoke to me and he told me I was forgiven. And when he forgives you, he takes your sins and casts them into the sea of forgetfulness as far as the east is from the west, it says in Psalms 103. And so I, for the first time, Joanne, I was 34 and a half, you know, I knew what it was like to have no condemnation, right? I experienced that Romans 8. I don't have any condemnation because he tells me I'm his son. He's forgiven me. And I knew that I had been justified. I had peace with God because he told me. But then he asked me a question. And this is very interesting. When, when God asks you a question, he knows the answer, but he wants us to get honest, right? When he asked Jacob, when he was going to wrestle, you know, all night, what's your name? He already knew it, but he wants us to get honest. So he said to me, when will you trust me with your life? That was his question to me. His first thing he said to me was a statement that I've forgiven you. You're my son. I adopt you. I accept you. You're my family. The question, though, was when will you trust me with your life? a good question because I, I had a hard time letting go and trusting God with everything obviously my wife the night before 
24 hours before this, it said, why don't you give up and trust God? Just give up and trust God. And I had this dream. Jesus is in the dream. I never dreamed about Jesus since then. It's been 26 years. I don't know. I never dreamed about him like that. Why don't you let go so I can catch you? And now at my ICU bed, when will you trust me? I want your life. So I said, yes. That was as simple as it was. That's what boggles people sometimes when they hear my story. Because I didn't fast for 10 days. I didn't lay out all night and cry out. I didn't. I didn't. I just got to the end of myself. And I said, yes. But I actually meant it to where my whole being, I'm giving up everything. Yes. When Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, let your yes be yes, and your no be no. Anything beyond this is of the evil one. I never really understood that until this experience I had. Because if you really mean it, one word's enough. Like help. Like when Peter's sinking in Matthew 14, one word, help. It's enough. Jesus got him up when he was sinking, right? Or when Jesus would see demons, he would say, go. He must have meant it because they... They went. So one word really has power if our whole being means what we say. So I believe that, you know. So anyway, this is what happened when I said yes. Jesus opened me up spiritually, not physically. He opened me up, and he opened me up to all the things I was ashamed of. My, my fear, my lust, my pride, my greed, my, my depression. All the things that I was ashamed of. Jesus took them out of me. I don't know how he did it. He took them out of me. And then he filled me with himself and I came back. All this takes like a minute, maybe. I don't know, because lights were flashing. My wife was crying. Nurses were running around and I tried to yell. I had no voice, but I tried to yell. And this is the first thing I said. It's okay. Jesus is here. That's what I said trying to explain to my wife that Jesus talked to me. He came into me and we're going to be okay. We're not going to be homeless. He's going to take care of us. And she's saying, you know, what's wrong? You know, what are you talking about? She doesn't know any of this because she didn't see or hear Jesus, but he talked to me. He's in me now. Like he filled me. And so I wanted to see visitors now because I'm not afraid. And she goes, what? I want to see all the visitors. Tell them to come in. So they're coming in five, six, seven at a time. And I'm talking to them about Jesus. And they're all thinking I'm wacko. Like they think I'm drugged out, I'm morphine, because they know me. Everybody knows me that's coming. And they're saying, what is wrong, Dan? What, what happened? Jesus came to me. He talked to me. He's inside of me. He, said, he filled me up. He's like, he took away my fear. And he can do the same thing for you. And so they're all going back telling my wife, what happened to your husband? And she doesn't know. Nobody knows. Anyway, the first week in the hospital, I actually prayed with seven different people to get born again in one week. And I'd never done that in my whole life. And I didn't know why, but I had a passion for everybody to know Jesus. And all I wanted to talk about was Jesus. I didn't want to talk about my wreck or my pain. I wanted to talk about Jesus. He changed me. It's like, how'd you do that, Jesus? All I said was yes. You know, Acts 1.8 says that when the Holy Spirit comes on us, 
that we get power. And I don't under, I still don't understand that to the full extent how the power works to be a witness. But I know that when I would talk to people in my hospital room, something was happening to their hearts and it was a power that was opening their hearts up to want to know Jesus. So I love that power. We need more of it. So, and my mouth, you know, Matthew 12, 34, it says, when you speak, your mouth speaks out of the overflow of what's filling your heart. And so when I was experiencing, I didn't know it at the time, I was experiencing, you know, Ephesians 5, 18, I was continually being filled with the spirit. And so when the spirit fills you, the spirit is truth, you know, the spirit is life. And so everything I was saying to people that would come to visit me was truth. It was life. It was Jesus. And I didn't even know it, but he had changed me so much with one word prayer. And so I got to go home finally from the hospital. I had to live in a hospital bed for some time because of my broken body. I remember it took me 20 minutes to go 10 steps on my walker to get in my house. But every step was a praise and worship service. Thank you. I could take that step. You know, I was just like, I was just thankful, Joanne. I don't know. I've never been thankful. And now everything was like a, a reason to thank God. Like I can take a breath. Like, thank you for this hospital bed. Thank you that I have a good wife that's going to help me. Thank you. I mean, I just had nothing but thanksgiving. And so 1 Thessalonians 5, when it says rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything, give thanks, giving, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. I never knew that was even possible. But now I couldn't help but thank him for everything. I was just thankful. I could think I could sleep. Anyway, so so I'm, I'm home, but I can't drive. And so I'm asking God, if it's okay, God, let some things happen at my house. Like I need repair people to come so I can share Jesus with them. So the refrigerator breaks, the air conditioner breaks, the furnace breaks. We have plumbing leak. We have some, every time something's wrong, somebody has to come to my house and I lead them to the Lord because I just couldn't stop talking about Jesus. I'm thanking God for the things that are going wrong. Now that's crazy, Joanne. That's crazy. But <clears throat> I think God, well, I understand what Paul said when he said we're fools for Christ. I think when he totally captivates you, and baptizes you and consumes you, you become crazy for him. You just can't help it. He's, he's your everything. You're lovesick. You become lovesick for Jesus. Come on. So I shouldn't probably yell on a podcast, but I'm trying to stay calm for your listeners. So um, this year unfolds, right? And I'm learning to walk good on my walker. And I'm having like, well, in six months time, I led 181 people to the Lord. It was unbelievable, Joanne. Awesome. It was unbelievable. And I'd never done that in my life, obviously. I just invited people to church. But I never had to let anybody to the Lord. But I had a passion. Like, I want everybody to know Jesus. Right? Well, they had our family sing uh, for the college church revival that fall. And I can't remember if it was late September, early October. I can't remember. But it was the fall revival. And over, it was a Sunday through Sunday where they take Saturday off. So it's eight days of revival. And they have morning services for chapel and then evening services. And so our family's actually singing the music, me and my brother and my sister, my mom and daddy. And the first Sunday, 
I brought 200 first time visitors to church with me. And JK Warwick was just like, what is going on? I said, JK, I invited everybody I know and they're all coming because I wanted them all to know Jesus. And the second Sunday, I brought 47 different ones, first timers. So over two weeks, I brought 247 people to church. I'd never done that before either. And so anyway, I'm just trying to give you a few highlights of what changed in my life. Um, and so in November, I had one of my surgeries and I was home from the hospital, laying in my hospital bed and I couldn't sleep because the pain was so bad. And so, you know, this is several months later, June 15th is when the accident happened. Now I'm in November and I'm laying there watching on the 700 club, Pat Robertson's doing a tent revival or excuse me, James Robertson, James Robinson, the guy who has that show with Betty on Christian TV or whatever. Yeah. With the, anyway, with the water. He's doing, yeah. He's doing, yeah, he's doing a show and he says, God can heal your body if you'll just reach out and touch him, touch him. He says that. And so I'm looking, my wife's asleep in her normal bed and I've got the hospital bed in the room next to her. I can't sleep because of pain. And I remember saying, how do I touch you? And he goes, just reach out and touch me. So I just do it. It's two in the morning. I have nothing to lose. I'm already in pain. So I reached my hands up. And I, the moment I did, Joanne, like tingly electric currents and fiery hot, feeling goes down through my arms goes down through my body and my pelvis had been twisted and it had been twisted and broken and my four bottom vertebrae had been cracked when I got hit so I'm in constant pain they told me they couldn't put the pins and stuff in until all the scar tissue stops forming or something I don't know they kept telling me why they couldn't do stuff but that night, that morning at two in the morning, I felt my pelvis go, I felt it shift and my back and I had no pain. And the doctor still can't explain it. I don't have any metal in my body. They didn't have to do anything. So God healed my broken pelvis and my four broken vertebrae. You can't even see cracks on x-rays now. There's no cracks in my vertebrae. That's and awesome. so I got up, Joanne, I got up and I'm thinking, what in the world was that? You know, cause I just felt tingly warmth go through my body. Right. And so I walked down my stairs. I didn't have to use my walker. I walked down, there's 15 steps from my, to my base, my first floor. And it was two in the morning and I'm watering plants and dusting furniture, crying in joy. Cause I don't have any pain. My wife comes running down cause she didn't know what happened. You know, she's awakened. She hears me down there singing. I think I was singing. And all of a sudden she goes, what are you doing? I said, honey, I reached out and Jesus said, just, he could heal me. I was watching this guy on TV and she goes, are you kidding? I said, no, look. So I'm walking around. And so me and Debbie started dancing. We're dancing. <laughs> There's no music. We just held each other and we're dancing at two in the morning. Well, that's when I started believing that God could heal people because I knew he could heal people's you know emotions and spirits because i experienced that he took away my depression he he gave me peace he took away my he took away my desire to do pornography and to lie and cheat and he took away that he changed my desires on the inside but now he touched my physical body too and so i can only believe for what i've experienced i think it's hard to believe if you don't experience something Matthew 10 says, you know, wherever you go, preach the kingdom is near and say, and, you know, and then heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, cleanse the lepers, 
freely you've received, so now you can freely give it. Well, I understood that now. I felt like, well, if you could heal my body, I was in pretty bad shape. You can heal anybody's body, right? So I started thinking that way. Well, that year finishes out, and then this a couple people start hearing about me in my church, and they start taking me into prisons. And so for a couple of years, I go regularly to five different prisons and preach. And that's where I learned to share, you know, about Jesus. And we had thousands of people give their life to Jesus. It was unbelievable, Joanne. It was unbelievable. But I didn't know what happened to me still. J.K. Warwick, my pastor, didn't know what happened to me because it wasn't at church. It wasn't in an altar call. I didn't say like a long prayer. I said one word. My father-in-law, Dr. Owens, was a general superintendent, you know, for a while. He's 95 now. He didn't know what happened to me. I mean, nobody could explain it. But I was different. And it wasn't wearing off. It was like it was getting more intense all the time. But it, it wasn't emotional. It was deeper than emotion. It was deeper than emotion. And so I just remember a couple of years after this accident where I had this encounter with Jesus. I just remember I was asking him, and it was June of 1997. I was out at my farmhouse. I had a little 30 acres acreage. And I was sitting out there reading my Bible and praying. And I said, Lord, what did you do to me? And I'll, I'll never forget this. He told me what he did to me. He goes, that's when I gave you your pure heart. That's when I purified your heart. And I remember, Joanne, this is what I said to Jesus. I said, well, everybody needs this. And it was like he laughed. And he said, I know. That's why I died, so people could have my heart. And I said, what are we going to do about this? And then he tells me, I want to use you to help wake up my church. And I thought, well, how can you use me? I'm a carpenter, you know, and Jesus was a carpenter, so it's a little joke, but it was <laughs> stupid. But anyway, um, uh, in 2007, the housing market crashed, and I lost $15 million Actually, it was closer to 16, but I always say 15. I lost everything because I was a builder, a developer. I had hundreds of employees, lots of companies, and the housing market crashed. And I lost everything except this peace in my heart. I think if I would not have had this intimacy in my heart, I would not have made it because it was real lot of pressure, you know. And so I lost everything and I'm talking to Jesus like I always did. And I said, what are we, um, what are we going to do? What do you want me to do? How am I going to live now? All I've ever been is an entrepreneur. I've been my own boss. How am I going to live? And Jesus whispered in my heart. He said, I want you to buy a Bible and read it again. And I've been reading the Bible. He says, no, get a new one. I said, that's your answer. Yeah, get a new Bible. So I bought a Bible, read it in two weeks. And I didn't hear nothing when I was reading it, so I was a little nervous and a little afraid because I don't literally die, uh, Joanne. I didn't know what to do because I don't have anything to live on. I, I've lost everything, literally everything. And so I'm driving home from this time away, just reading my Bible eight hours a day. And I pull into a gas station in Laramie, Wyoming. It's October 10th, 2008, about 2.15 in the afternoon. And I'm pumping up gas. I'm nervous. I'm, I'm going home to, I don't know what I'm going home to. I don't have a home. I have nothing. As I'm heading home, I hang up the gas pump 
And I hear the audible voice of the Lord like I'm talking to you. I, like, I looked around like it was weird. It was weird. And he says to me, I want you to preach the gospel until you die. Period. And I want you to wake up the church of Jesus Christ to the power, the purity, and the freedom of the spirit-filled life. Power would represent healing. Purity would represent sanctification. And freedom would uh, represent deliverance from things in your emotional makeup, trauma, wounds, abuse, whatever, demonic interference, whatever. So healing, sanctification, deliverance, inner healing. I'm supposed to wake up the church. I don't have a clue how to do that. But how am I going to wake up the church, God? So I get home. We have prayer meetings. My pastor, J.K., says, I've known this for 10 years. Thank you, J.K. I talked to Chuck Milloff, who's an evangelist, my dad's friend. I've known this for 10 years. Talking to my daddy. I've known it for 10 years, son. Everybody knows it. I'm glad. I didn't know it. So I didn't know what to do. How do I start? So we prayed. And I got a call to go to a meeting. And I've been in over 1,200 meetings in the last 12 and a half years. I've been in 23 different denominations. Um, I've seen almost 78,000 physical healings. I mean, it's pretty amazing what God's doing. And I've seen somewhere between 250 and 300,000 people pray that God would cleanse and purify and sanctify their hearts so they could be made holy on the inside and set free from themselves. So let me tell you what's happened in the last 10 days because it's not ending. It just keeps getting more and more amazing. Um, I was asked to go down um, last Thursday, Friday, and Saturday to preach at Lacine Christian Center, which is a non-denominational church. We had 16 churches join us, three Nazarene churches and 13 different denominations, Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, Calvinist, Charismatic, Pentecostal, whatever, just 16 churches. And the first night I preached on sanctification of your spirit. The second night I preached on sanctification of your soul and your emotions being healed. And the third night, sanctification of your body and your body being healed. Some of the things that happened, um, a 90 year old lady got her eyesight where she can see without glasses now. A 67 year old man had a big old lump on his back from a surgery and God healed his back where the lump disappeared. A um, 59-year-old man named Jimmy who had kidney failure, he has to go on dialysis. He's in extreme pain. He came to the meeting. We prayed for him for like 20 minutes, and all the pain left. left. He doesn't have kidney failure now. Um, a lady who's been in constant pain since 2004, God took away all of her pain. She doesn't have to have pain meds now. Three people actually got out of wheelchairs and walked. And their husbands had to take them out of their wheelchairs and put them on like lawn chairs. They couldn't walk. Three people got out of wheelchairs and walked. 
two people actually, one of them is a Nazarene guy named Tim Phelps, was able to walk, two people carried their walkers out. Three people carried their canes out on their backs and two people carried their crutches out. This is just in the last week and a half. One 17 year old boy was born autistic. He's never been able to taste food or smell food or feel temperature on his skin ever. Like in the summer to wear a coat because you know, he, he didn't know what temperature is. We prayed for this young 17 year old boy. He can taste food, he can smell, and he feels temperature and he doesn't want to scratch his face anymore. I've never seen that before. I've never seen anything like that. So just miracle after miracle after miracle. As soon as we're done here on this Zoom call, I've been asked to go to a prayer room over at IHOP because there's a bunch of leaders from around the world there that I actually got a chance to meet yesterday. One of them is an Assembly of God guy that runs 1,400 churches in Indonesia. Wow. And he lives in Sri Lanka. And I met with him yesterday and he had me call his wife on the phone who's sick and pray for her. And he wants me to do Zoom calls for 1,400 pastors in Indonesia and teach them how to hear God speak clear so they can operate in the power to heal and deliver so people can come to Christ and get born again. I just met him yesterday. Another guy named Jason runs this international prayer network who has 2 million different people working with him. They want to raise up 100 million intercessors. Well, his wife has a brain tumor. And so he wants me to come today after we're done. That's why I got fixed up early. This is usually my day off. I got to drive over there because he wants me to pray for his wife's brain tumor because she's had headaches for 22 years. So right now, I'm 60. I have, uh, I have one and a half classes left to finish, and I'll be done with the Nazarene Course of Study, which I'm so excited to get all my classwork done. Um, I started doing that like four and a half years ago. And so I'll have it done in four and a half years. Amen. All my 26, whatever, lots of classes. Um, but um, I'm 60. Uh, all my kids love the Lord. All my grandkids love the Lord. In fact, it's been kind of neat watching some of my grandkids get baptized in the last month and a half. And I just get thrilled. Um, my wife and I have been married almost 41 years. And I've never been more excited about what I think God's getting ready to do. I know COVID has stripped away a lot of religious people. Yeah. But it's also uh, made it so the real ones that love Jesus for Jesus are still there to where I think God is getting ready to turn what once was kind of a lukewarm, powerless bride into an on fire, passionate bride that will be ready to disciple a big harvest that's getting ready to happen because Jesus really doesn't want anybody to perish. Even though there's going to be millions and billions destroyed, I get it, but there's also going to be a big harvest in the midst of all the suffering. And I think he's getting the church ready right right now, Joanne, to be a church that can disciple. And you're an example. You reach out every way. You have a lot of entrepreneurial ideas. Mm -hmm. And so my story is God can forgive you, praise God, but he can also purify you and cleanse you, heal you, deliver you, set you free from you yeah. so that all you do is love people and love God. And no matter what happens, it just produces more love because it's not you, it's Christ living in you.
And so I'm a pretty happy guy at age 60. And I'm thankful for friends like you, Joanne. You inspire me. So thank you for letting me share a little of my story. That's awesome. It's a great story. I know you've told it, you know, whatever, probably, well, probably 1,200 times or more, right? If you've been 1,200 meetings, <laughs> probably more than that. And I know that, well, you changed the name of your ministry um, yeah. over the last few years, uh, what, five years ago or so? Actually, two years ago, we changed the name. Oh, all right. I only been, two, I was thinking it was longer than that. Um, this might be the, th yeah, this is the third year, the beginning of the third year, maybe. So. Okay. <clears throat> and, and I've heard you, I mean, I've heard you preach several times. So about this idea of becoming unoffendable. And of course I'm reading, it's, it's important. It is important. Probably the last year has shown us more than ever uh, how, uh, how much the church has that, that idea wrong. Uh, we, we are very easily offended. Um, and that, uh, probably that message is even more important now, you know, we're in this place that we're at in the season we're at in our culture. So, um, you know, just talk, we just talk about that. I mean, I know you can talk about that for hours, but what, what does it mean to be unoffendable and, and how, how does Jesus do that? Well, how it happened for me was about um, three, three years and four months ago, I was having some heart troubles. And I had AFib and A flutter where my heart was beating out of rhythm, where it made it hard to breathe. And so I had to stay still for three weeks during Christmas holiday, waiting on a procedure that they did inside my heart just like it was a heart catheterization where they burn it, right? And then it makes it fire in rhythm. Okay. So all I could do that three weeks was just sit around, even though I wanted to do stuff with my family because I couldn't breathe. But every day the Lord would have me read uh, 1 Corinthians 13 verses 4 through 8. You know, love is patient. Love is kind. Doesn't brag. It, it just read it those four verses and it ends up love never fails. Okay. So I would read that every day, but then he would say, I want you to put your name in all those expressions of love. Read it this way. Dan is patient. Dan is kind. Dan doesn't get offended. Dan doesn't keep a record of wrong. Dan believes all things. Dan. And every time Joanne for three weeks in a row, I would read that. I would start crying. because I can't, I can't do this. I go walked from my easy from my recliner to my bed and lay down and I would lose my breath because my heart's out of rhythm. And I'd say, I can't do this. And I would just start crying. Why are you having me read this? Because that was a section of scripture that I could never preach from. I knew what it said, but I didn't think I could ever live it. So I wouldn't want to preach it because I don't want to be a hypocrite. Because I'll never preach anything out of this book unless it's becoming flesh in me and I'm actually living it because I don't want to ever be a hypocrite. So that's my philosophy on the Bible. <laughs> and after three weeks, I just remember 
crying, saying, Lord, why are you doing this? I'm not patient. I'm not always kind. Why are you making me put my name in this? And then he finally says to me, I know you can't, but I can. Why don't you just let me live my love through you? Because I am love. <clears throat> Something, the lights went on. I don't know how to explain it. The lights went on to where all of a sudden I felt love for people. I, I felt compassion. And it hasn't worn off. In fact, I told Jimmy, our director of our ministry, I want to change the name of our ministry. Because when you don't get offended at people when they try to hurt you, but all you do is have more love for them, it's like it's a deadly weapon. Love is a weapon. How can you fail? If you can't, love never fails. And so what I've experienced is, let me give you, a, let me give you like a scenario. Here's the example that I want to give you. Let's say I have, um, let's say my wife has lost her job. And so I'm getting ready to lose my house in foreclosure. And I'm at work and I have cancer. And my kids just got divorced and my grandkids are on drugs, but nobody at my workplace knows any of that because that's not what I think my story is. My story is Jesus lives in me. He's never going to leave me. He promised that he's going to see me through to the end. So my story is not what I'm going through. My story is actually who's with me, taking me with him to where he's heading to. Okay. So let's just, let's just play along with this. So let's say a couple months goes by and my wife gets a double paying job. We don't lose our house. And God heals my cancer. And when my kids see that God can do miracles, it provokes them to give their lives to Jesus. And so they get remarried. And their kids see mom and dad now in a real relationship. And it gives them faith to get off drugs. And then all of a sudden, my people at work find out all this stuff that was going on. And they say to me, why didn't you tell us? And my response is, well, I didn't know that it was important. That wasn't my story. My story was Jesus said he would never leave me. He lives inside of me. I'm his house. And he works all things together for the good. And anything that touches me has to come through him or it wouldn't touch me because he lives in me. And then everybody at my work says, well, I want to know this Jesus. If he can give you peace when you lose your jobs and you lose your health and you lose your kids, families and and then he turns it all. I want to know this, Jesus. You see, I think, Joanne, the world is looking for Christians who aren't survivors, mm. but they're overwhelmingly conquerors to where the life they live in the flesh is actually Jesus living his life now. Right. So love's not offendable. It's not. And so sometimes people say mean things about me and my old Dan would be like, why are they doing that? Why don't they understand? But this love heart that God's given me, I look at them and I say, they just need one encounter with Jesus and everything would change. And so I just have a burden to pray for people. And so 
I'm not offended. I don't have one person in my life I'm offended with. I don't have everything perfect. One of my, one of my children is going through a, a real bad divorce right now. And my heart's breaking, but I'm not offended. It's like God's given me freedom. And I have patience. And Dan Boy doesn't have patience. Dan doesn't have patience. But I have patience because I'm becoming love. And so I guess it's a laying down of my rights so that he can actually live his life through me. Mm. And man, Jesus didn't get offended. Man, can you imagine the havoc he could have done if he got offended? <laughs> His response was, Father, you need to really forgive them. They have no clue what they're doing. He wasn't offended because he was love. I, I can see Paul in the Philippian jail. He wasn't saying, can you just help me, God? Why? Because he wasn't offended. At midnight, after he got beat up, he just felt like worshiping because <laughs> he wasn't offended. And so I think that the power that will win the attention of this world that doesn't know anything about Jesus. You know, we're in a, we're in a country now, Joanne, that 6% of Americans have a Bible view of the world. Okay. 6%. Right. So they don't even know Jesus, but if they saw people that couldn't get offended, if they saw people that always had hope and always believed, I think it would provoke everybody to want to know what our secret is. So I think the coming revival will be a revival where the body of Christ actually acts like a family that's not dysfunctional. <laughs> we actually love each other. Like, I love you, you're my sister, you love me, I'm your brother. We honor each other, we serve each other. And I think the world will say, what is your secret? And I think love never fails. So that's the short story on what happened to me. And I don't ever want to get over it, Joanne. I don't ever want to get over that because it's a, it's a fun way to live. Okay. Yeah, it is. Do you care if I pray for your people? I know it's about 11. That's okay. Yeah, go ahead. Yes, I would love for you to share. Pray for our, our listeners. I don't know who's going to watch this, but I want to pray. Can I All pray? All right, do that. I'll take women. I know that you uh, have been a proponent to try to encourage women because women kind of feel marginalized and is it misogyny is that the word that, yeah that'd be one of the words i don't know all the words but they're not in my book mm -hmm. in my ministry i think we have three or four ordained ladies that work in our ministry anyway mm -hmm. um but i know a lot of people yeah. push women aside which isn't biblical mm -hmm. but anyway it's easy to get offended if we're not becoming love which defeats the power because the authority that God gave us as his body to do the same things Jesus does in greater, we don't have any confidence to use authority if we're offended. We don't have any confidence to use authority if there's secret sin or whatever. So the world's waiting to see the demonstration of Jesus with a bunch of people that are becoming love because love never fails. And so, Lord, I just pray for all the people that will watch Joanne's podcast, especially women ministers, God that have been pushed aside or pushed down or tried to be suppressed. I just pray that your love would just well up inside of them and they would realize that you're singing over them right now. You're shouting joy over them right now. I pray you give all these precious ladies a vision that when they look at you, their bridegroom, according to Song of Psalms 4-9, your heart starts racing faster and all they have to do is look at you. 
I pray, Lord, you'd give all these precious people that will watch this podcast the vision that you have actually changed their name and you call them your delight now. You call them your wife. Lord, I pray that there would be a revelation of how loved these precious people are. And when we get that down, we have nothing but love to give others. So I bless Joanne, I bless her heart. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity I've had to be with her in several meetings. And I just pray you bless her ministry, bless her marriage, bless her children, bless her, all that she's doing. But mostly God, I pray you would overwhelm Joanne and all the folks who will watch this podcast with an overwhelming sense of your love and how deep it goes and how high it is and how wide it is. Let your love consume, fill, overwhelm everyone, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Do you care if I pray? I feel an impression, Joanne, that I should pray for people's physical healing. Is that okay? Sure. Even though I don't know who's going to watch this, but I see a couple things. Uh, and is it mostly women that will watch this or is it just a variety? It's a variety. We have, okay. we have men who watch it too. Mm -hmm. okay. So I'm going to pray. So Lord, I just pray right now um, the same prayer they prayed in Acts 4. Would you stretch forth your hand over the podcast? Uh, in the name of your holy child, Jesus, your servant that set the example, stretch forth your hand to perform miraculous signs and wonders and miracles. I'm asking you, Jesus, to send your word through these waves on the Zoom, on the podcast, and heal everybody who hears this whether it's fibromyalgia, whether it's terrible joint pain, whether it's digestion issues, whether it's chronic headaches, whether it's sinus or allergy issues, whether it's breathing conditions. Lord, I don't know. I just know you impressed on me that you're a healer. And when you send your word, it always performs that which it was sent for. And one of the reasons you send your word, according to Psalms 107, is to heal people, to deliver people. So I'm just asking you to let your word go cellular and touch every cell of the bodies that will see and listen to this podcast. And you will heal them and let them freely receive their healing so they can freely give it and let it be a tsunami wave of healing grace that the last revival is going to be people that walk in signs and wonders and miracles. Daniel says they will walk in mighty exploits. And Malachi says that the son of God, the son of righteousness will arise in his body with healing in his wings. So God, I just want everyone to experience healing spiritually, emotionally, and physically so they can freely receive it and then they can confidently freely give it away. So I thank you for hearing this prayer and I pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 God bless you, Joanne.